0: It's August 23rd, 1720, in Nassau. Governor Woods Rogers is furious. Pirates have stolen a ship in the night, but not just any ship, the William. One of the fastest ships in the Bahamas has been taken out from under his nose. It's the kind of action that could spur a resurgence of piratical activity in Nassau. Governor Rogers, grinding his teeth, slams his fist on his desk. He demands to know who these pirates are. He doesn't have to wait long. James Bonney bursts into Rogers' office. Word of the stolen ship is all over Nassau and he can't find his wife, Anne. Plus, Anne's lover has also mysteriously disappeared. Rogers curses. It's no mystery what has happened. John Rackham, aka Calico Jack, Anne Bonnie, and half a dozen other pirates have stolen the William. Rogers and James Bonny know this is a desperate attempt by Rackham and Anne to be together after Rogers quashed any hope of Anne receiving an annulment from her unhappy marriage to James. Rogers stares out his window in Nassau. What has he really accomplished? It's still a den of scum. Roger's time in Nassau has been anything but easy. The people of Nassau haven't taken to him as well as he'd hoped. They haven't worked hard to build up Nassau's infrastructure, leaving it vulnerable. Quashing the pirate menace in the city has been a continuing uphill battle. Now, Rackham and Anne Bonny's actions risk upsetting the rocky stability Rogers is barely holding on to. He must act swiftly. Rogers pens a new proclamation. Woods Rogers, Esquire, Governor of New Providence. A proclamation, whereas John Rackham and Anne Fulford, alias Bonny, did on the 22nd of August last combine together to enter on board, take, steal, and run away. Wherefore these are to publish and make known to all persons whatsoever that the said John Rackham and company are hereby proclaimed pirates and enemies to the crown of Great Britain, and are to be so treated and deemed by all His Majesty's subjects. The proclamation is posted, and like sharks the chum, privateers and pirate hunters begin to make ready their ships. At all costs, Rackham and Anne Bonnie must be caught. No amount of piracy will be tolerated. I'm Tom Morton, and welcome to Real Pirates the show that dives deep into the true story behind the world's most notorious buccaneers. Join us as we set sail under the black flag, alongside such legendary figures as Blackbeard, Henry Morgan, Charles Vane, Anne Bonnie, and Mary Read. We'll reveal how these marauding mariners rose to dominate the seven seas, the terror tactics they employed to overpower their prey, and what life was really like aboard their ships. Their reputations have swollen to legendary proportions, making it hard to separate fact from fiction. Who were they? Terrorists or freedom fighters? Cold-blooded killers or heroic underdogs? As it turns out, the truth is far stranger than fiction.
1: National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. She takes a shot, she scores. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Ooh-hoo, we're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on Fandor. New customers bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field.
2: It goes down.
1: 21-plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest. that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: It's the middle of the night. Sometime towards the end of August, 1720. A bright moon casts a silver glow over the William, now renamed the revenge as it cuts through the shimmering waters of the Bahamas. Rackham is on the hunt. Not for a prize or plunder, he's hunting the decks of his ship for one of his own crew. Charles Johnson writes in A General History of Pirates that Rackham is furious with jealousy. He believes that Anne, his wife, and a crew member, a man named Mark Reed, Have become lovers. Rackham clutches a blade, stalking the dark ship for Reed. He won't be cuckolded or made a fool of, not like James Bonney, Anne's last husband. Rackham bursts into Mark's quarters, startling the sleeping sailor. Suddenly awake, Mark panics at the sight of the raging pirate captain and the glinting blade in his hand. Stumbling out of his bunk, Mark has nowhere to go. Rackham backs him into a corner. Luckily, Anne Bonney is in hot pursuit. She comes flying into the tiny cabin, squeezing herself between Reed, Rackham and the blade. Before Rackham can strike, Anne confesses everything, spilling their secret. She announces that Mark Reed isn't the man Rackham suspects of cuckolding him. In fact, he isn't even a man, he is, in fact, Mary Reed, a woman. Rackham, stunned, lowers the knife, his jealous rage subsiding into confusion. Learning the truth, Rackham agrees to keep Mary's secret from the crew, but he's not sure what to make of it, or the women's relationship. Dr. Rebecca Simon is a historian and author of Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever.
2: One of the long-standing beliefs about Anne Bonny and Mary Read is the possibility of the two of them being lovers. And so Johnson hints at this in A General History of the Pirates. We have the story that Mary Read is disguised as a man on the ship and nobody knows her true identity. Anne, thinking that Mary Reed is a man, actually develops feelings for her because Mary Reed is a great member of the crew. So Anne decides to seduce her and then when Mary reveals herself as a woman, Anne is quote unquote disappointed. Now, the two of them do remain very close. And Jack Rackham notices this again. Jack Rackham does not know Mary's true identity at this point yet. And he gets so jealous that he actually goes to Mary Reed in her sleep with a knife against her throat, threatening to kill her out of jealousy.
0: Despite Bonnie's disappointment, it seems the two women become close. In fact, some believe the intimacy described in Johnson's account is a hint that Anne and Mary become lovers anyway.
2: It's interesting because Captain Charles Johnson never actually claims that the two of them were lovers. This idea didn't come about until the 1970s uh, when a feminist writer named Susan Baker published an essay in 1974 called Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Read, They Killed Pricks. And in that essay, she details a lesbian relationship kind of building off of Captain Charles Johnson's biography of them. and continuing this to insinuate the two of them had a lesbian relationship. And this has become part of the major narrative of them that continues to this day.
0: For Bonnie and Reed, Johnson's is the only account we have, and he makes no claim of a romantic relationship. Although some argue that even if they were lovers, contemporary attitudes to sex and sexuality mean it may have gone unnoticed or at least unwritten.
2: In the 18th century at the time, It was not considered adultery or infidelity if women were going to be lovers. And this is because a sexual relationship between two women was not legitimized as anything. That concept of being known as gay, lesbian, homosexual in general, was not a concept until about the 19th century. Women were not really seen as sexual beings, even if they were sex workers. The idea was also that sex didn't count unless there was a penis involved. So at the time, even if Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed did have some sort of a relationship, it would not have been acknowledged as anything real. But the likelihood of the two of them actually being lovers is very, very small and mostly speculation.
0: We will never know if Anne and Mary were lovers. While scholars debate the question to this day, the subject simply may not have interested Johnson since sexual relationships between the two women weren't taboo, nor were they a crime. Same-sex relations between men, however, is another issue entirely, and given the gender balance on a pirate ship, any sexual relations are far more likely to be found between men rather than the only two women aboard.
2: There is a long-standing idea that there was probably a lot of homosexuality on pirate ships, but this is also very heavily debated amongst different historians. Now, one of the reasons why it seems like there was a lot of homosexuality on pirate ships is because of a practice known as matelotage, which is where pirates could in a way marry each other or have a civil union together but the purpose of this was so that way they could have um a great alliance or bond between them and another member of the crew so that way if one of them died in battle there would be someone who could protect their share and perhaps give it back to families after their death now there are cases um and it wasn't uncommon for there to be what we call situational homosexuality or situational same-sex relationships meaning that Let's say you're on a ship, a very masculine, heavy world, generally no women. Sexual tension builds, and so the men might create sexual relationships with each other for this.
0: It seems the private lives of pirates will remain private to historians. Whether it's written about or not, it seems likely same-sex relations would have been as common among sailors as it was among soldiers, prisoners, or students, or any other single-sex environment of the era. What is without question is that trust and fellowship were essential for any pirate crew to function. Perhaps the bigger question is not regarding the nature of their relationship, but how Bonnie and Reed came to be on the same ship in the first place. Once again, we turn to the only account we have. According to A General History of Pirates, Reed's origins share striking similarities to Anne Bonney's. It seems Mary is born around 1685 in England.
2: According to Captain Charles Johnson, Mary Reed was also an illegitimate child. The story goes that her mother was happily married to a young sailor and the two of them had a newborn son. But unfortunately, he dies while at sea, leaving her with an infant child and now widowed without very many opportunities to be able to make a living for herself. She is getting an allowance from his family, especially since she has his child. During this time, she has an affair with another sailor and this results in another child, a girl named Mary Reed. During this time as well, Mary Reed's mother faces yet another tragedy in that her infant son dies. Now, Mary's mother cannot afford to lose this allowance that her in-laws are giving her. So what she decides to do is disguise Mary Reed as a boy, as an infant, so that way she can continue getting this allowance from her in-laws. And this works.
0: Like Anne Bonny, Mary begins living a double life. Mary's mother calls her Mark the name of her deceased brother and dresses her in boys' clothing. But by 1698, Mary is approaching puberty and her mother knows the ruse must end. She sits young Mary down and explains that she can't go on living as a boy. Society won't allow it. The transition must have been quite jarring for Mary.
2: Mary Reed effectively lives as a boy up until she's at least 13 years old. And at this point, Mary Reed is probably an adolescent going into her teens, and so her mother reveals to her, you have to start dressing in female dress, and now you have to start working in domestic service. And this is because that is the only opportunity Mary Reed could have as a young woman. It was becoming a maid. According to Johnson, she goes and is employed in a very well-to-do French household in London, but Mary Reed does not take to this and resumes her mail address and leaves.
0: Seeking employment and continuing to disguise herself as a boy, she joins the British Navy. It's the tail end of the Nine Years' War. Mary is a powder monkey aboard a British man-of-war, lugging heavy sacks of gunpowder. It's tough work. The poor pay, lack of food, and near constant threat of illness and violent death a far cry from the life of a domestic maid, but it's a taste of freedom an adventure. In 1701, at the outbreak of the Spanish War of Succession, Mary, now age 18, is in Flanders in the Netherlands. Still disguised as Mark Reed, she joins the British Army as a cadet. Reportedly, Mary starts as a foot soldier, but later joins the cavalry. Her fellow soldiers are impressed by her, She is a good rider and fighter, and it seems none of her comrades suspect her of being a woman. Eighteenth-century clothing – loose breeches, bulky jackets, and a tricorn hat – could easily conceal her female physique. There is at least the possibility that a woman might go for a time concealed in a military or maritime setting. Eric J. Dolan is author of Black Flag's Blue Waters, The Epic History of America's Most Notorious Pirates. I certainly understand
1: the intense fascination with these women, because you always, in history, want to find things that are out of the ordinary. And that was certainly out of the ordinary. For example, we know that there were some women who dressed up as men and fought in the American Revolution. We know for a fact that there were women who dressed up as men and were
0: on American whaling ships. But these examples seem to be few and far between, throwing doubt on the idea that Mary Reed really did live this double life for any extended period of time. From what I know about this period, and even subsequent periods,
1: is there's very little information about women living life, even little parts of lives, as men and getting away with it Successfully, Just for practical reasons, it would be very hard to imagine in that era when women weren't making up any part of our official military force. It would be surprising indeed if there were more than a handful of examples
0: where women were able to pass themselves off as men. In a sense, even Johnson's fanciful account of Mary Reed's backstory supports this idea, as it's not long before her secret is revealed. It seems hiding her sex is one thing, but hiding her feelings is another thing altogether. She falls in love with a Flemish soldier in her regiment.
2: Nobody knows her actual identity. She's known to be a very excellent soldier, and she gains a really good reputation. But while she's there, she falls in love with a fellow soldier, and... He doesn't know her identity. To him, he's just got a good friend, until one night she sneaks into his tent and reveals herself to him and seduces him. And he's quite pleased with this. To him, this is quite casual. He's like, great, I have a secret lover, this will be fun. But Mary Reed has fallen in love with him. And when she realizes those intentions, she cuts off the relationship.
0: A lover is quick to realize his mistake. He has also fallen in love with Mary. So he asks Mary for her hand in marriage.
2: And at this point, this is when Mary reads true identity is going to have to be revealed. Instead of being punished for this, because this young man is going to marry her, this prevents her from getting any sort of real punishment because she's revealing herself voluntarily. She's not found out. And again, this is going to be a legitimate relationship. Had she not done this had she not married him or had she been discovered she would have been punished by having to go through a gauntlet for being a disguised woman in the military or she would have been accused as a camp follower and probably whipped so instead what happens is the two of them are honorably discharged from the army and they settle in a town called Breda where they open up a tavern
0: but by 1715 Tragedy strikes the happy couple. Mary's husband suddenly dies. Heartbreak aside, this also puts her in a precarious financial situation. Women's rights at this time are extremely limited. As a widow, Mary has no legal claim to the tavern her source of income. The harsh reality is that without a husband or male guardian, Mary has no professional identity. Finding herself limited once more, Mary chops off her long hair, ditches her dress, and slips back into her male disguise.
2: What she does is she rejoins the British army um, in a different regiment, so she's not discovered and she's not known. However, her performance is very poor, most likely because she is just heavily grieving. And so she is honorably discharged because of her poor performance. And at this point, she decides that she has done her time in the military. So she keeps her male identity and she goes on to a merchant ship that is going to be bound for the West Indies because to her, this would be a new start.
0: But life aboard a merchant ship is risky business. It's 1719. While en route to the West Indies, the ship Mary serves on, packed with a fresh supply of sugar, casks of wine and other goods, is being chased down by pirates. Mary isn't afraid. She's a soldier. She can fight. The pirates fire a warning shot over the bow. The pirates are gaining. A Dutch ship is too slow. Mary can hear the pirates' jeers and threats. Aboard the fast-approaching ship, she can see cutlasses and muskets waving, glinting in the sun. She ducks as the pirates open fire. The captain's pale-faced. He knows he doesn't have the men or guns to fight them off. The Dutch vessel is no match. They surrender. Mary watches as the pirates swiftly come alongside and tether the ships together. A wave of ragged, snarling pirates crash over the handrail and onto the deck. Crew members and shriek at the onslaught as they are corralled onto the deck at gunpoint. Mary's heart is in her throat. She sees one man thrown to the ground and stomped on by pirates who rifle through his pockets. Another man has his clothes stripped off his back. The pirates laugh and cackle as they try on his hat and shoes. One can imagine Mary's fears of what these desperate men might do to her. If they discover her secret, particularly when they start to take an interest in her. Luckily, in the eyes of the pirates, Mary appears as a young, strong, able-bodied man, good in a fight and a useful addition to their crew. She's also the only English speaker aboard the Dutch ship. Mary, in an effort to avoid marooning or death, joins the pirates, still disguised as Mark Reed. Or so the story goes. Charles Johnson, in a General History of Pirates, writes, They kept her amongst them and, having plundered the ship, let it go again. Mary followed this trade for some time. But Mary's time as a pirate is short-lived. Like many pirates in 1719, the King's pardon is an alluring proposition. There's a vote, and the crew decide to accept it. They intend to sail for Nassau to take a privateering commission. But days out to sea, the crew, including Mary, mutinies against the captain. Taking control of the ship, they return to piracy. We don't know if Mary's identity ever became known to these pirates, or how long she spends at sea but by the summer of 1720, she finds herself in Nassau as Mark Reed, and joins Jack Rackham and Anne Bonny's crew. This incredible backstory of Mary Reed living in disguise as a soldier, then a sailor, being adopted by pirates, could be taken straight out of an adventure novel. Indeed, for decades, Historians have searched in vain for documentary evidence that would support Johnson's fantastic tale. But as ever, at best, there are only scraps to go on.
2: History diverges a bit from Johnson's narrative here. We don't know Mary Reed's actual origin story. There's no records of her birth, there are no records of her childhood or anything like that but there are a couple of historical records that show that she might have had some sort of relationship with pirates or some sort of maritime background. The first piece of evidence is a letter written by a woman named Anne Cantorell on the 25th of March, 1698, when Mary Reed would have been approximately 13 years old, having been born around 1685. Anne Cantorell was widowed because her husband, a man named John Reed, was executed for piracy. Whether or not he was actually a pirate is unknown, but she writes a letter to his captain stating that he has to give her his wages or his share because she has both a son and a daughter to care for. In the letter, she lists her daughter's name as Mary. Thus, she has a daughter named Mary Reed. We don't know if this is the same Mary Read or not. We can't verify that, but it is a very interesting coincidence, especially because they lived in Bristol, England, a major port city, and this would have given Mary a considerable exposure to sailors and the maritime world from a very young age.
0: It's also possible Mary Read's connection to piracy was established well before 1719.
2: Another piece of evidence that shows it's possible that Mary Reed might have a pirate connection is that she may have lived in the Caribbean for some time before becoming a pirate. In 1707, a group of 42 women in Jamaica signed a petition to free their husbands from prison because all of these women's husbands had been accused of piracy. One of the signers is a woman named Mary Reed. If our Mary Reed was one of the signers, then this means that she would have had a lot of connections to piracy if her husband was actually a pirate. So it's possible, if this is true, after she was widowed, because none of these pirates were granted a pardon and they were all executed, that she may have somehow managed to make her way to Nassau for new opportunities.
0: Charles Johnson gives Anne Bonny and Mary Reed parallel backstories. Both are illegitimate children who spend their childhood disguised as boys. Yet both are strikingly different.
2: Mary Reid's story is very different from Anne Bonney's in that she presents very much a masculine life before she enters piracy. She is a member of the Royal Navy He paints her as a soldier, not once but twice, working on a merchant ship and then working for pirates, and then disguised as a man when she enters Jack Rackham's employ. Now, Anne Bonny is not given this type of treatment. Hers is very much a narrative of her childhood. It's almost a coming of age story in that she grows up on a plantation, she's quite stifled, and then she marries the sailor and is able to escape. Anne Bonny is given much more of a feminine role
0: Johnson's more masculine portrayal of Mary Read is interesting and may have been interpreted by audiences in very different ways. Some have argued they are figures of female empowerment.
2: The purpose of making Mary Read a very masculine figure um, as a woman in the military who becomes a pirate completely disguised could be a way to also demonstrate how these two women, and Bonnie as well, were able to transcend a lot of the social norms for women, kind of break through these bonds, and show how these women could be just as capable as men, if not more powerful.
0: But perhaps more likely is that these incredible stories of female power are actually intended to mock the masculinity of the male pirates in their company.
2: By giving Mary Read a more masculine story, this is also a way to kind of turn people against these women as being pirates, because this is a threat to masculinity in general. He's not building her up as being very competent. He's building her up in a way to insult manhood in general.
0: It's mid-September, 1720. Rackham, bonnie and reed have been at sea for weeks rackham has sailed the revenge far from the bahamas they know governor rogers will be after them searching for the best place to pirate rackham decides to hunt off of jamaica rackham's lookout spots a french merchant ship rackham orders the helmsman to lay in an intercept course the pirates are brimming with excitement the jolly roger is unfurled Revealing a grinning skull, looming above a pair of crossed cutlasses. Of course, it's Rackham's own design. Like his colorful calico clothes, he knows half of pirating is about the presentation.
2: A lot of pirates began creating their own flags in order to identify themselves and differentiate themselves from others. Jack Rackham was no exception. But what's interesting is that his design became one of the most iconic uses of the Jolly Roger that we think of today, because he's the one that came up with the idea of using the skull and crossbones. But what he did is that instead of bones, they were cutlasses. This would have been modeled off of the medieval, tombstones, which often had an image of a skull and crossbones to denote death. And actually, if one takes a look at old maritime logbooks, oftentimes next to deceased sailors, there would be a tiny little image of a skull and crossbones drawn next to them to signify their death. So what this flag is doing is that it's literally indicating death by pirates and with the cross cutlasses, death by battle.
0: The French merchants see the jolly Roger flying aloft the quickly gaining revenge. Fear that they are about to meet their end grips them. Rackham's gunner fires a warning shot at the ship, whistling at head height just over the deck. But the French sail on, hoping desperately to shake them. Perhaps they sense the pirates are reluctant to damage their prize. Just as Rackham considers his options, Anne Bonny announces that she has an idea to frighten the French into surrendering. Down in the hold, Anne takes a dressmaker's mannequin and smears fake blood over the exposed body parts. Aboard the French vessel, looking through his eyeglass, the French captain suddenly feels sick with fear. He sees a woman in full pirate garb dragging a mangled lifeless body across the deck with a crowd of wild pirates whooping and cheering all around her. The French gasp as Anne, wielding an axe, starts hacking at the body. She holds the mannequin's head up for all to see, the fake blood staining her face and hands. Before tossing it into the ocean, the French captain ...believing he has witnessed the brutal dismemberment of some poor soul... ...loses his nerve and orders his crew to release the sails and run up the white flag. Anne Bonnie's intimidation game is a huge success. The pirates loot the French ship with joyful abandon. That night, the crew drinks French wine and feasts on the stores of salted meat. Under a bright starlit sky with spinning heads and full bellies Bonnie and Rackham walk together along the main deck of the ship whatever her relationship with Mary Reed Bonnie is still Rackham's ally and consort after all they've risked everything to be here no pardon will save them from the hangman's noose if they're ever caught now they just need to decide where to head next one idea quickly springs to mind. As the name of their ship suggests, pirates do love to seek revenge whenever possible. The couple agree to hunt down the man who soured their chances of happiness on Nassau when he betrayed their secret to Governor Woods Rogers. Richard Turnley is a well-known turtle hunter in the Bahamas, so they know just where to find him. It's late September, 1720. Anchored off the outer cays in the Bahamas, Richard Turnley's small fishing ship bobs gently in the breeze. His small crew of four cast their nets into the crystal clear waters, where they can see a family of sea turtles swimming amongst the coral. Little do they know, they are the ones being hunted. On shore, Turnley walks with his son, looking for turtle nests in the sand, when they suddenly see a sloop rounding the headland. Turnley instantly recognizes it. The ship Rackham stole from Nassau Harbor, now flying the black flag and rebranded as the Revenge. He watches helplessly as the pirates swoop down on his own vessel and his unsuspecting crew Frantically waving and shouting, he tries to warn them, but it's no use. The revenge fires upon Turnley's vessel. It's a direct hit. Rackham shatters the mast, crippling the little ship. Turnley, fearing what Rackham and Bonnie will do to them, turns and flees into the woods with his son. Pistols and cutlasses is drawn. Bonnie and Reed, led by Rackham, charge aboard Turnley's boat, all fire and fury. The other pirates loot what they can, but the prize is Turnley. Rackham and Bonnie put cutlasses to the crew's throats and demand they give up their employer. They quickly comply, pointing ashore to where Turnley and his boy are now hidden. Rackham scans the island looking for movement. Nothing. Reed argues that searching the island is pointless. Bonnie and Rackham reluctantly agree. Instead of going ashore, Rackham press gangs three of Turnley's men into service. The fourth is sent ashore, with a message. Bonnie, holding a pistol to the head of the petrified sailor, says to inform Turnley that should they ever cross paths again, they promise to whip him to death. Turnley, hiding beyond the trees with his son, watches on as the smoke rises up and the flames engulf his ship. The acrid stench of burning timber and turtle meat wafts over the water towards them as the revenge sails away. Rackham, Bonnie and Reed, it seems, are just getting started. Next week, on Real Pirates. Bonnie and Reed are ready to wreak havoc on the high seas. But life on board the Revenge becomes increasingly complicated for Rackham's unconventional pirate crew. Passions run high and tempers flare. A quarrel will end with a confrontation and pistols at dawn on a deserted beach. And all the while, Pirate hunters circle, waiting for their chance to strike a killer blow to piracy in the Caribbean. Find out next week on Real Pirates. Real Pirates is a Spotify original from Parkast. Produced in partnership with Noiser. Executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes. Developed by Julian Boireau for Parkast. Produced by McAllister Beckson. Written by Luke Coons. Sound supervisor, Tom Pink. Edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer. Sound design by Matias Torres-Sole. Mixmaster by Cody Reynolds-Shaw. Music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley.